This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we continue into Jesus' discourse in preparation for his death, and he promises the advocate, the helper, the counselor, the Holy Spirit. Yes. So we're going to pick up. We're, try, we're going to try to remember, like, right the, the, the spot that we left off in the last episode was talking about the way, like this is the way, the, the way of laying your life down, the way of suffering. The way of finding life and death, the way of serving, the way of becoming more by becoming less, the, the backwards, the upside down way. But particularly, we really suggested what Jesus was inviting them was to realize that the way that he's inviting them to is a way of the cross, like a way of ultimate sacrifice. We even talked about the apostles' own martyrdoms, like This is going to be the way that they're a part of. So this is where the conversation, we don't want to break that and pick up a fresh conversation. We want to remember that this conversation is picking up right, and it's it's still the same conversation. We're still having the same discourse. It's picking up like right in the midst of all of that. So that's what we're going to pick up. I think what I want to do is have you read like the first paragraph so that we can kind of feel the flow of that. And then, and then kind of like reference that and walk kind of back through it and, and all of that. So I think that's what I'm going to have you do, Brent. Yeah. So Philip said his statement and then Jesus answered. And then the passage that we're starting with today, it's not one of those cases where it's like Jesus answered, blah, blah, blah. And Jesus said, blah, blah, blah. Like there's no indication whatsoever of time passing here. This is one continuously flowing conversation. We cut last episode right in the middle of a conversation, right in the middle of a, of a discourse by Jesus. At the end of this episode, we will have a clean break uh, indicated in the text. But for now, we are continuing the conversation. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. All right. So this conversation comes again. There was no break. This is a continuation of what he's saying. Like this is the way. Like this is the way we're going to go. This is what I want you to be willing to lay down your life for me. He just got done answering that question of, "Do you not know me, Philip? Like this is this is who God is. Like this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm asking you to go lay down your life. And if you love me, you will obey what I command. Like." persevere, hang in there, and I am going to give you help. Now, my old NIV says counselor, but I noticed the new NIV said advocate, huh? Yeah, and that's the word um, that NET chooses to go with as well. Um, You know, they say finding an appropriate English translation for parakletos is a very difficult task. No single English word has exactly the same range of meaning as the Greek word. Uh, Comforter was kind of the older version of it. but that uh, they say today it suggests a quilt or a sympathetic mourner at a funeral, which yeah, uh, sure. I mean, you know, sure. Um, counselor is adequate, but too broad in context as like a marriage counselor or camp counselor. 
Helper or assistant could be used, but that suggests a subordinate rank. Uh, advocate uh, is perhaps a little too forensic, but there is like an element of that. And so that's what they go with because it, you know, seems to fit the best for our current moment of English usage. But uh, it is it is a complicated um, word that you kind of have to look at a few different angles to get a, a better understanding of what it is. Yeah. And I, <clears throat> I definitely don't, don't mind the idea of advocate. Um, I think all those words, every one of them brings a unique element of this idea. That's kind of beautiful. I like all of those words, not comprehensively, but in, in the little piece that they bring, I'm like, Oh, I like helper because of this. And I like counselor because of this. And, and advocate is good, both in the way we understand the word. It's also good because there, there is a legal component uh, potentially, potentially, that you can see in an advocate, and and in their world, in the Greek understanding, this advocate, this parakletos, can be somebody that comes alongside of you in court. I mean, their court system is different than ours, but it's similar in understanding. They're your legal advocate. They're the one arguing for you. They're the one standing by you on your behalf in a legal sense. And I like that component of that word as well. I have wondered, and some people have suggested that John was written in Hebrew. I don't know if the case is nearly as strong as, say, Matthew. Everybody knows that. I definitely believe Matthew was, without a doubt, written in Hebrew first, not Greek. Um, John, I'm not convinced. There's a lot of theories out there. I kind of want to be convinced, but for a handful of reasons, I'm not. Um, but some have some have suggested that, and I, if so, I would have loved to have known what the Hebrew word was here with John when he originally wrote it. But assuming that we're working with the right Greek parakletos, the, 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 um, there's this sense of alongsideness of parakletos. That's part of what the word breaks down to, meet, to mean. And like a, a, helper, a helper that is alongside of, which really reminds me of something, Brent. If I say a helper alongside of, what does that make you think of? Mm, the Etzer Connecto. The Etzer Connecto. And I really have toyed with whether there's like a remez to that here in the idea of Paracletos. Like, really, if you go back to Etzer Connecto, and we said that was the help that comes against, um, the help that opposes, which is probably a very strong, um, that's a strong stance to take. And, and that is a translation that has some pointed. I'm making a decision when I put some teeth on that. The, the neged can really mean to come alongside of, um, to come parallel to, but it does have, in my opinion, it does have a sense of it's coming alongside in an opposition, a supporting, a supporting againstness. Um, there's another reference of neged where it talks about the people of God camping against the mountain. Is one way that you could you could trans they they're coming against it they're practically leaning against it they're alongside the mountain but the insinuation and the etymology of the word is that they are leaning into it they are touching it they are sub and so that's why the etzer connecto I've translated it as help that opposes the help that comes against but again there is an an alongside nature of the word neged in the Hebrew so when I think parakletos. I really feel like there's a very, very, very similar reference to the help that is alongside of, the help that is with, and the help that opposes alongside of, and which makes sense because 
Two episodes ago, we talked about how the fourth cup is a cup of betrothal. Last episode, I told you what was the what was the reference in the last episode, Brent? Uh, the the language of preparing a place exactly in my father's house. Yes, so it would make sense to me that that marriage language, that etzer connecto idea, runs all the way. I mean, it just makes sense. We're using marital language. Uh, it wouldn't actually surprise me at all. In fact, I feel like that kind of is brilliant. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that's going on, but I've I've wrestled with that. I've also wrestled with, you know, there's another place in the Bible. We'll see if this rings any bells, Brent. There's another section of scripture that talks an awful lot about um, helpers. Uh, you could say counselors. I don't think we translate it that way in the Hebrew. Um, servants. Somebody that's that's coming alongside of we advocate. Does, does that ring? If I say those words, the chosen, the helper, the servant, does that ring any bells to any other part of Scripture, Brent? I mean, I I'm thinking of the judges, maybe. Okay, not bad. I, I'm thinking of another place. Some uh, almost thirteen chapters that talks about the chosen helper of Israel. The priests? Israel I have chosen. Jacob, my servant. Jacob is my servant. Israel, whom I have chosen. Some, you know, 19 references to a servant and a servant and a servant. And then we get to eventually the... So Isaiah. Isaiah, absolutely. Servant discourse in, in Isaiah. And it has very, very similar references in my mind. Again, one is in Greek, one is in Hebrew. So unless we've got Septuagint ties, I'm not able to necessarily tie those things together directly, but I get very similar vibes to the suffering servant discourse of Isaiah. If that's true, that certainly fits for me. What has Jesus just gotten done inviting them to? To to die. To die and to suffer. Exactly. Isaiah 53, that whole suffering servant discourse of Isaiah would be the perfect remez backdrop for what Jesus is, is inviting his disciples into. So that's another observation that I'd make just to uh, tickle our Pardes fancy, if you will. Um, but the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time talking about pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit, and what are the implications of Holy Spiritness in this passage. Not because that's not the right conversation to have. I think these passages should deeply shape and influence our pneumatology. Uh, pneumatology is not one of my theological strong suits. I think I've mentioned before, I come from a Reformed background. My joke is always, we talked about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. Like, we never talked about the Holy Spirit. We never talk about the Holy Spirit was dangerous. We might become Pentecostals. Like that was, that was the world that I grew up in. It's still not one of my strong suits. I will link, I think one of the best treatments that would articulate what I understand about my understanding of pneumatology would be the Bible Project's video on the Holy Spirit. I think we've linked it before, but we'll link it again here in the show notes. It's a short little video, but it does describe what my understanding is of how the Holy Spirit functioned throughout the story of the scriptures from the, what we would call the old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, the first Testament into the new Testament, the second Testament, like how we would talk about those two things. Um, and, and I think that that, that video does a good job of describing what I understand the Holy Spirit to be and how the Holy Spirit functions in light of the resurrection. So that that's where I would go for that. But I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time trying to pull that apart. I want to keep the conversation planted firmly in this invitation that Jesus has given his disciples of this is the way. I am inviting you to die. 
Like in a literal sense, yes, they will go on to die. But Jesus saying, I'm inviting you in a spiritual sense to die, to lay your lives down on behalf of others, to die to yourself, to give up your life in order to find it. I'm inviting you to the way of the cross. And if you will do that, if you will obey what I command, I will send you a helper, an advocate, the spirit of truth. And and then there's this discussion about how the world cannot, this is going to be hard for you because the world doesn't see the spirit. The world doesn't, and that fits John's discourse. Jesus has constantly said, I'm from above, they're from below. I see things from a heavenly perspective. Everybody else sees things from a worldly perspective. So Jesus says, if you give yourself to this way, do not expect to be understood. Do not expect the world to be like, oh, I'll give you a clap because that's beautiful. Thank you for doing that. The world's not going to applaud it. The world's not going to understand it. It's not going to make worldly, logical, reasonable sense. But I'm inviting you to live this way. Let's see. What else did he say at the end of that paragraph? Hmm. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father. And and I love that, that on that day, you will realize, like there's a sense of discovery. Again, similar to what John has said earlier, if you live this way, if you do this, you will certify, the person who lives this, certifies that it's true. So I know this is going to be hard, Jesus says. I know that I'm asking a lot of you. Should you choose to obey what I command? Should you choose to live in this way? You will then realize and I kind of go back to last episode, Brent. Remember we were toying with the um, um, the past tense, future tense. Uh, I I think what and and I think they chose to to translate it more as present tense, where it was like, um, uh, you know, if you know the Father, you know me, versus if you knew the Father, you would know me. I think one of the cases to make for the if you knew the Father, you would know me might be this verse here, because Jesus says, then you will know. As you live in this way, you will discover who God is and who God is like as you experience the life that I am, as you live in the way that I am modeling before you. So I I would say if there's a case to be made, that might be one of it. But any good notes or thoughts in that little section there? No, I would would just point out that uh, Parakletos does not appear in the Septuagint. It does not appear uh, at the hands of any other New Testament writer either. It's uh, four times in John and then uh, once in First John, although the First John reference is actually talking about Jesus. So really we don't have a whole lot of, um, we don't have any like external help to help us understand what this word is. And I was kind of thinking of like the 70 facets idea Sure. Uh, for this word. Like there's just so many different ways yeah. to look at what, the parakletos is supposed to be and what the function is like. So sure. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. And I like the, um, you know, I love the first John reference that actually refers to Jesus as a parakletos. Cause a, not only is it firmly Trinitarian, um, which would make it Orthodox, but it, obviously the apostles are going to be Orthodox. My point being that Jesus, I mean, this conversation about the par- parakletos is synced up with Jesus's conversation that, I'm leaving you, but I'm also coming back to you. And and yes, I'm coming back later, but I'm also coming back to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. So it's that it, it it's that same idea seen in how John will even use the term to refer to Jesus himself. So I, I like that. I, it makes sense to me. Okay. Well, reading on then. Keep reading on. Okay. Then Judas, 
not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Okay, so Judas now asks a question, and I've always wrestled with, did Jesus answer his question or just completely ignore it? I think, because <laughs> it kind of, depending on how you read it, you're like, you didn't answer his question. Like, you completely. On the other hand, I feel like maybe he may exactly answer his question, because Judas's point seems to be, again, not Judas Iscariot, the other Judas, his point seems to be, okay, Jesus, this is great, but why are you only doing this with us and not the rest of the world? Like, how are we supposed to see the kingdom come crash into earth if this whole thing is just about like your little holy huddle of disciples? And I feel like what Jesus says immediately does re- reference this question directly. If anyone loves me, this isn't just about you, Judas, and it's not just about you guys. It's going to start with you. You're the ones that see me and know me intimately, but this isn't just about you. This is for anyone who loves me and obeys my teaching. Anyone who wants to walk in this way, anyone who wants to be a part of this thing I'm inviting you guys to be a part of, anyone, my father will will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love. So there's going to be this dissonance. There's going to be this The world's not going to get it, but there are going to be people that do. And this isn't just for the 12 disciples, the 11 disciples, the handful of ladies that follow him. This is for anybody that sees the way of Jesus, the way of the kingdom, the way of the Christ, and says, I'm in on that. Anybody who sees that, this is for them. It's for anybody that sees it. And so I think that is a direct reference to Judas's question. And I do, so the uh, the NET notes that um, that it is a generic inclusive this applies to anybody but it is a singular situation so it is a an individual dwelling anyone who loves me will obey my teaching my father will love that individual and we will come to that individual and make our home with that individual so there is this is not a, a situation where it is a corporate you know group or whatever, like any, anyone can do this. Um, and there was also a footnote, uh, back in the last episode where I was talking about the dwelling places. Uh, I guess there's some thoughts that the, uh, like when Jesus is talking about going to prepare a dwelling place, like, is that some sort of external dwelling place or is Jesus himself the dwelling place? Yes. I've heard that. And I feel like that would, that would fit in with this, with this idea. Yeah. And I, yeah, because is the dwelling place, the temple that he's, you know, I've wondered how much you can interplace some of the other uh, themes of the new Testament. And even in John, that's not uh, like, it's not just a Pauline idea. John talked about when he, reference destroying the temple. He was actually talking about himself. He was actually talking about his body. If if the Gospel of John is a chiasm, this is potentially at the right spot of the John conversation to be the other side of that chiasm. So uh, there's some definite possibilities there. And and to go back to its comments about the individual nature, I would I would make sure that when we hear that, we're not hearing uh, the case that this is about individualistic salvation or individualistic faith, but that this is talking about 
people that say yes. It's not talking about groups. So just because you're a part of that group doesn't mean that you're in. Just because you're one of Jesus's disciples doesn't mean that you're a part of the way. You actually have to yourself decide that you want to be a part of the way. Just because you're a part of that church, just because you're a part of that group, just because you're a part of that nationality, just because you're a part of does not mean that you inherit automatically the way. The way is something that you individually have to say yes to. I I would just make sure we caution ourselves not to go, oh, salvation and faith is just a purely individualistic, we have enough of that going on in American Christianity. We don't need any more of that. That's a good clarification. Thank you. That is what I was trying to get at. Yes. Yeah. And just the, and, and I think on the flip side, there's no, there's no group that disqualifies you. Like Correct. Any, exactly. Anyone. Yes. Anyone is individually qualified. Yes. Absolutely. Oh gosh. Don't even get me started. I'm gonna. I'm gonna reserve. I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna sit down. <laughs> I'm sitting down, Brent. I'm not gonna. Go ahead and keep reading before I get myself into trouble. I'm just going to start over at that paragraph. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. All right, so Jesus is really calling his disciples. Again, remember the context. I'm inviting you to lay your lives down. I'm inviting you to the cross. I'm inviting you to follow me in this, you know, pick up your cross and follow me kind of invitation. That's what I'm inviting you to, and I need you. He's reassuring them. He's telling... You're going to have what you need. The Holy Spirit's going to be here to teach you and to guide you. I'm giving you peace. My peace I give to you. My peace be with you. I don't give to you like the world, like he's really leaning into them. This is going to be worth it, and you're going to have what you need, but you got to say yes to this. You got to say yes to glory, the book of glory. You got to say yes to this process. If you say yes, you will. it, will, it is not going to be easy. It's going to be death. But if you say yes... You will have what you need. And I think it's interesting, if not probably important, that John clarifies when he says the parakletos, he means the holy pneuma. So, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, but the parakletos, the holy pneuma, like he is connecting it with like, hey, I'm not talking about some completely separate idea. I'm just giving you a new view on what we already call the holy pneuma. Yes, and remember there's two there's two aspects to this conversation. A, there's the conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, which is a it hasn't happened yet. They're hearing this for the first time. They don't know what it's going to look like in the future. And I, and I assume that Jesus really said these things. He really taught these things. These are really the conversations that he had. And so in that regard, these disciples are like, oh, what is he talking about? What is it going to look like? I I trust him, but I have no idea what we're talking about versus the readers of John's gospel, which experience a, the church filled with the Holy Spirit each and every day, those original readers, those, that original audience of his gospel. And so they get to look at this from their perspective going, oh yeah, how true that is. How true it's been that the Holy Spirit has been there with us and for us. How true it's been that the Holy Spirit has taught us in, in community with each other 
and all these things have been realized, how true that is. So there's two aspects to that, the way that that these passages get to be heard in this discourse. Yeah, and after last episode, I was actually looking up some dates. Uh, So Philip would have died about 8080, it seems, and uh, the Gospel of John would have been finalized perhaps around AD 90. So yeah, just that idea that they already know what Philip's story is. So when, when John is sending out this gospel, like he can, he can talk about Philip and not have to, you know, because they know. Yep. And same, same thing here. Like yep. the Holy spirit has been part of the conversation for, uh, what, 50, 60 years at this point. That's right. So, yep. um, and John is saying, here's a, here's a different way to look at it. Yep. Than, than what you've maybe heard up to this point. But I am talking about the same person or spirit or whatever. Sure, absolutely. Yep. Uh, let's see. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. And if I'm honest, I got some questions about that last paragraph. Um, (laughs) I don't know if I have a whole lot of profound observations. I I hope we all have questions. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if I have a bunch of profound observations to answer any of those questions that I have. Um, Just to join the wrestling match with everybody else because I got some. But um, yeah, I don't know if you have anything in that. Last paragraph that jumps out to you, Brent, I think we had a little quicker conversation today, but um, seeing this conversation and this discourse in context is very helpful to feeling the flow of what Jesus is doing and what he's talking about and what they're trying to process and what he's trying to invite them to process and call them to versus how I think we usually interact with this whole discourse, which is abstract, theological, theology of the Holy Spirit. Um, Christology, pneumatology, and I, I want to get pulled into the Jesus saying, I'm inviting you to go die. What lies ahead of you is going to be unbelievably difficult, but it will also be unbelievably good, and you are going to have what it takes to do what God has called you to. Absolutely. Yeah, and and of course there's the debate about what Jesus means when he says the Father is greater than I. Um, oh yeah, and, and I, I think yeah. that for us, uh, that would probably most. I mean, I think you you made a promise not to talk about God goggles, but I made no such promise. So, uh, in the God goggles sense, uh, yeah, Jesus Jesus set some things aside. So in this moment, as he's speaking with them, uh, the Father is in a greater position than Jesus because Jesus chose to lay down um, part of his uh, capacity to to take on this role. Um, and so they're like, Hey, I'm returning to my glory. You should be happy about that. I don't know. That's a, I mean, that's exactly how I see it. I think you articulated it spot on. Um, I think some would rightly say, is that consistent with the way that Jesus talks about his identity elsewhere? And I'm going to say, I think so. Um, some may argue that I, I do think that one of the problems I have with like the modern, there's a there's like a modern neo reformation theology conversation that takes place in circles like where you might have the John Piper voice and you know I'm not here to say you know you know this way or another but there is a there is a a, theo- a theological concept called the subordination of the son 
that the Trinity is the Trinity, but when Jesus came and functioned, he became lesser than, and that idea is important for penal substitutionary atonement, to go back to session four, talk about atonement theories. In order for penal substitutionary atonement to make sense, you have to have a subordinated son uh, that's subordinated to the Father. They will use the Gospel of John to make that, not just this verse, but other references in the Gospel of John, to make the case that that's true. On a Christological level, I totally agree with what you said on like a God-goggles perspective and the humanity of Jesus. I have a major problem with that claim on a Christological level because it's not squarely Trinitarian and therefore it's unorthodox. And there's a word we have for that, and I don't like to use it typically, but that's heresy. Um, so I, <laughs> I do have a problem with the idea of the subordination of the Son, but there are many theologians today that make that case in order to back up penal substitutionary atonement theory and and how that theology works in a more comprehensive way than what we presented or talked about. So that probably sounds really heady and nerdy, and you can hear my somewhat annoyance of not wanting to talk about it, but that that is that is there in that verse, and and I think people will probably fall on different sides of that issue, and that's okay. But that that's where I fall, and I love the way you explained it because I would completely agree. Yeah, and we're not going to resolve centuries of Christological debate here in a you know, thirty-minute episode, so <laughs> or whatever we're going to get to by the time this is over. Probably not. Probably not. Okay. I mean, read read Den is good, but I'm not sure he's that good. We could. We could. <laughs> <laughs> call him out of the dugout here, but I don't, know. I, don't, I don't think he'll pull it off. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, boy, they're, they're definitely like Prince of this world. Has that, has that what, like, what is the Prince of this world? Yeah. And that language is going to have some traction. Yeah. And the book of glory, that language is going to have some traction. Uh, I think, there, I think you could tie it as well to the book of signs in different places, but that's going to be, and it's going to also show up elsewhere with other authors, but that's also going to be kind of unique. Johannian language. Um, so yeah, yeah. And obviously connected to Judas and the references earlier to the devil or the adversary, Shatan entering Judas. So there's a theme there in the book of glory, a thread that's being pulled through where Jesus and what he's doing is at war on a more theologically cosmic level. What's happening here has larger principality implications and just flesh and blood. And again, like I said, I got some questions. I got some questions in this paragraph. I got some unresolved thoughts fluttering around here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, he he clarifies immediately, he has no hold over me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, love that. Yep. but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father yep. and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So is that a sense of like, um, like a, a period of testing or a trial or something. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to prove that I love the father, uh, by this, like through this trial, like I'm, I'm being tested and I'm going to prove my love for the father through what is about to happen. But in the end, remember he has no power over me. Uh, yeah, I think there's probably some of that. I, I think there'll be some other places throughout John. I think we've already seen one. I think we got another one or two coming up where he's going to reference like the fulfillment of scripture, like we've talked about before already. And I think one of the things we've tried to show in those prophetic utterances is that part of what Jesus is saying when he, when this is scripture fulfilled, is he's saying, this is, this is empire versus Shalom. This is what's always been 
And so, of course, the prince of this world comes, where in the great hour, this is the, this is the book of glory. This is where the glorification is going to happen. And it's going to happen because of this ultimate clash between empire and shalom, if we wanted to use Bema language, between light and darkness, between life and death, between Satan and whatever. But make no mistake about it, this is not a fair fight. This is not a clash of two equal. This is this is the fact that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God has always been here. Creation has always been good, and there is an intruder. So, of course, the intruder comes. And, but it's not an intruder, as in like who's going to win or what. No, this has never been a this has never been a fight of equals. This has been the fact that there there are weeds amidst the wheat. There is darkness amidst the light. There is death amidst the light. And so, of course, it comes. But make no mistake about it. We know how the story ends. We know who wins. We know where this goes. So hang in there and persevere because I have overcome the world. That kind of an idea. And I've kind of been thinking, like last episode, we talked about the way, the truth, and the life potentially being a reference to Torah uh, and Jesus claiming to be Torah. And I wonder... And, and like in this sense, um, like if this is a, a period of testing, I think of like Jesus in the wilderness and I'm thinking back to Matthew, like, is this portion, if, is this testing like the John, John's version John's of, temptation? of the temptation? Sure. Golly, I love that. Yeah. I've never thought of it that way. And the, the claim of the way, the truth and the life, if that is a reference to Torah, is that John's version of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus takes Torah and says, here's how you should interpret this and live this out. So I don't know. Well, or at least just very similar themes and ideas. I I really like the hour of, of testing. I'm going to mull that over for, for some time now. I like that. Uh, Just a little, just thinking aloud here, a little theory live on the podcast. There you go. Okay. I like that. Um, and then just to close it out. So Jesus, Jesus says at the end here, come now, let us leave. So just geographically and chronologically, uh, where are we at and where are we going and what is, what is happening here? It, it seems super weird and I'm trying to figure out, I mean, it's such an intentional move by John. So John definitely has them leaving on purpose because he doesn't have to. John has no problem messing with time or like so he wants us to see the leaving. I would assume in the context of how the conversation has flown up to this point, they, they are sitting at the Seder meal. Like they, they've wrapped up the Seder. Jesus starts to have this conversation with them that we've been dis- discussing about. You know, he's washed their feet. They finished up Seder. He's talking about, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You got to lay down your life. Now it's time to go. So they get up. They leave the Seder. We could we could harmonize with the other gospels if we want and say they go to they go to leave and go to the garden, which makes complete sense to me because the next spoiler alert, the next episode's gonna be what passage, Brent? Uh well let's see, that'd be John fifteen. So this is the vine and branches. Which means as a rabbi, he's gotta be next to what? A vine and branches. <laughs> a vine and branches. So he's he's now left the Seder room. And he's on his way down to the Get Shemanim. He's going to walk through a garden. It makes a ton of sense to me. He's going to walk right by some vines, a vineyard, as he walks through the garden to the Get Shemanim to stay. So all of that makes sense to me. So I say, I, I just wrestle with why John's put it in there the way he has. 
why that's important to John. But I say this is where they're getting up from the Seder location and they are leaving. And the next verse is going to be on their way to or through the garden. And he he stops and he talks to them about vines. And I also wonder if, it, if it's just as a something for us as the audience of like, hey, I've just dropped, you know, this whole stack of sure information on you. Let's let's go somewhere else and you can mull this over in your in your mind as we go. Like that might be a great setup for next episode. And you've been on my trips too. And you you can even feel that. If I just got done like really laying the, you know, the the heavy stuff on a group, it's time to go walk for a ways. It's it's time to just like shut up and let people process before we do the next lesson. Right. Yeah. So that could very possibly <laughs> he just laid down some pretty heavy truth there and a pretty heavy invitation. And they got a little walk to get out of Jerusalem out to the Kidron Valley. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. I uh I definitely like keeping in mind the in spite of its strangeness at times, the chronology of what's happening. Uh yes. Because this is one one book. This is one gospel. And so there should be a, a thread that is going through the whole thing. And so it's good to step back and keep that in mind. So indeed. Okay. Well, if you want to get a hold of Marty, um, you know, once again, I, who knows what's happening at this point? Who knows? <laughs> this, this may give away when we're recording this episode. <laughs> yeah. Although who knows? It could get even crazier from here, Marty. Uh, but whether it's Twitter or somewhere else, uh, get a hold of us. If you have any questions or thoughts, uh, the Baymoss Slack is always a great option to, uh, to share your thoughts, not only with us, but with, uh, with other listeners and, and we can wrestle through this together as a community. So a little plug for the Slack there. Um, and of course you can find more details about the show at bamonasubshop.com. Definitely check out the Bible project video on the Holy spirit. That's a good one, uh, to, to get some ideas there. If you haven't already seen that, what are you doing with your life? Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah. So thanks for joining us on the Bama podcast. We'll talk to you again soon with John 15. <laughs>